Good morning. Praise God. I'm glad you're all here. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to turn this time over to you once again, Lord, that you might uh, anoint this word that you've given to me, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would touch lives and that you would use it, Lord, to encourage and to uplift and uh, to, to do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when Doug asked me to preach so soon again after, I thought, uh, these are the words I would say. That sermon that I uh, talked about on June 4th, it was a song inspired by uh, Sidewalk Prophets called The Words I Would Say. And it's talking about those things that he, he want, people wanted to get across to somebody else. And <clears throat> the book of 2 Timothy is what we're going to be looking at. So if you have your Bibles, you can get it out and start turning to the book of 2 Timothy it's Paul's last will and testament for his young protege, Timothy, whom he left in Ephesus to build up the church that, that Paul had started on his first missionary journey. These are the words he would say to Timothy face to face if he could. And from the sermon on chapter 4, Paul imparted his final words. That's what we talked about the last time. Chapter 4 were the final words that Paul had. Words of wisdom and encouragement to Timothy. He's ministering in the midst of opposition and hardship in Ephesus. And Paul stresses the importance of godly living, preaching the word both in and out of season, and preparing for the coming apostasy within the church. Underlying all of this, Paul says, is the importance of God's word. God's word underlines. It's the only foundation strong enough to withstand persecution from without and problems from within. And Timothy has had Paul's example to guide him and God's word to fortify him as he faced growing opposition and opportunities. We're living in those last days, amen? amen. And we must fulfill our purpose and the plan that God has for us, for you. One day, we're going to be with the Lord for eternity. Amen? I look forward to that time. All the suffering, the sorrows, the losses, the disappointments and failures of this world are going to fade away in the light of His glorious presence. Amen? I look forward to that. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. I, I want Him to come. But we're not made for this world. We're citizens of heaven. We are awaiting Jesus' return to take us with him, to be with him forever. And as a, a summary of my last sermon, Paul said, to, these are the words that he would say to Timothy. Chapter 4, he admonished him to preach the word in season and out, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and careful instruction. He was commanded to be sober in all things, to endure hardships, to do the work of an evangelist, and to fulfill his ministry. And if you remember in that sermon, I used the examples of my wife, Mary Beth, as well as a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer that illustrated how we ought to minister in the power that Jesus gives us. If you want to look back on June 4th, you can take a look at that at your leisure. But this morning and next week, we're going to be looking at Paul's first words, not the final words, but what was the first thing that Paul said to 
Timothy as he sat down to write this letter from prison. So let's go to chapter one, and we're going to spend today uh, in just the first five verses, and then next week we're going to go from there to the end of the chapter and talk about those things. So let's read those first five verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. You know, before, I dive, before Paul dives in to instruct Timothy in specific things to do, like we did in chapter 4, those were specific things that we ought to do, First of all, he has, gives a greeting and a salutation to his beloved son. And in the commentary I read by John MacArthur, he believed that these very personal comments actually reflect six principles of motivation that guided Paul in the words he would say through the rest of the book. And it guided him to talk to us as parents, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, VBS workers, pastors, counselors, neighbors, friends, co-workers, any other kind of thing you want to add to that. It's you. It's me. To any believer who is helping another grow toward maturity in Jesus Christ. And I believe that these are the six principles that he had. He said you have to have, in order to motivate people, you have to have authority. You have to have altruism. You have to have appreciation. You have to have appeal. You have to have affection. And you have to have affirmation. And I think those six principles of motivation will help us to better motivate ourselves and to help those with, that we serve with in, in ministry, too. So I want to talk about those principles this week, and then next week we'll get into the specific qualities from verse 6 all the way to the end of that first chapter uh, that Paul is going to encourage Timothy. So I want to start with the first one, authority, and that can be found just in the first two verses. Let's go back to the text. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son. Now, the first principle here is is authority. Paul has authority as an apostle, amen? He's an apostle. And so he's been called out by God for a specific ministry, ministering to the Gentiles, that's his job. He's a messenger, he's an ambassador. He was a representative of God who carried the authority of whom he represented. He was also a leader in the church. He wrote most of the New Testament. As an apostle, he stood in the place of Christ and he spoke the word of God. 
And it says, by the will of God. It was by God's will that he was writing these things. And it's by God's will that we have that kind of authority as well. And it says, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. What's the promise of life in Christ Jesus? Salvation. Amen? We get to be saved. It talks about the gospel of salvation by our participation in the death, resurrection, and eternal life that we have coming for us. And not only did he have that kind of authority, but Paul and Timothy had a very intimate authority too. They spent time together. He calls him his beloved son. Not just son, but beloved. You know, those of us that have kids, sometimes you get the difference between that. You have your son sometime, and sometimes you have your beloved son. Well, Paul and Timothy, he was his beloved son. They shared a very close, um, intimate, loving relationship. And so Paul's authority was also as a worthy father to his beloved son. And Timothy understood that, and he was submitted to, to Paul's authority. So he was ready for that authority. And in order to motivate people, we have to do it from a position of authority in a person's life, especially one that's based on relationship with them. We have to have that relationship for it to be truly effective. What kind of authority do we have? Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses, verse 20. <clears throat> there it is. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you know you were an ambassador? That's what it says, isn't it? We are ambassadors, and we've been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. We've been given that message of reconciliation, reconciling people in the world to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, reconciling brothers and sisters in the faith to work through differences that they have. We've been given that. We have authority as ambassadors to Christ. He's given us that ministry. And Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this, if I can find it. Not only do we have that authority as ambassadors, but it says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, amen, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Wow! Not only are we ambassadors, but we're children of God. We've been given authority as a son or daughter of God. You know that song by Cain that says, I'm so blessed? On my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, <laughs> I'm a child of God. And you're the reason why. 
I'm so blessed. Amen? Can you say that? I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Because I'm a child of God. We have authority with one another. We have authority in this world as ambassadors of Christ because of what God has given to us. We have that authority, and that authority will motivate us to help people to do the right thing. And what do we need to do? Well, what about Matthew 28? Most of you know what that is, but I'm going to read it anyway. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, like the song we sang, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, that's the authority that we have. We have that authority, and because of that authority, we can motivate other people, our family, our friends, our co-workers. Based on the authority given to us in Christ, we're to encourage and motivate other people. Amen? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to motivate people? You have the authority. And so there, that's the first step. The second one is altruism. And going back to uh, 2 Timothy. Oh boy, got to get back there. There it is. The rest of verse 2 goes like this. <clears throat> Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the things that we get from God and Jesus, and Jesus our Lord. And, and what I'm talking about here is altruism. Altruism is an unselfish concern for and devotion to the welfare of others. It's a desire for God's best to be a reality in another person's life. See, that's what he says to, to Timothy right away. I want you to have grace, I want you to have um, mercy. I want you to have peace. It's desire for him to know that from Jesus, from God the Father and Jesus the Son. He wants him to know that fully. He knew that Timothy was saved by grace. Paul wanted Timothy to experience that grace to cover sins, that mercy to overrule misery, and peace to dominate his life. If we want to motivate others, we need to have that genuine, loving, unqualified concern for people. Remember, Jesus had compassion for the broken and diseased, and he went about healing wherever he ministered. Amen? That, that's what, what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4 says this about how we ought to look at other people. So if you want to turn to that. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. Make, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, 
maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And here's the purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Say that again. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Folks, we're to have that altruism in us. We're supposed to have that kind of love for other people. We're to regard one another as more important than ourselves. That's hard to do. I mean, amen? Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to do. Even with the people that we love, it's hard to do. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to think of their other people's good rather than our own. One of the things my, my friend and I have been talking about over the last few years is loving our wives more, putting their needs before our needs. And I tell you, that's a lifelong process of doing that. But I'm committed to that. Because that's motivating. That's altruistic. You know, look out for the interests of others. I remember Robert Schuller saying this, find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. Here's an illustration I read in the Daily Bread last month. As a traveling executive, Sean Sepler wrestled with an odd question. What happens to leftover soap in hotel rooms? Normally, it's thrown out as trash for landfills. Millions of soap bars could find new life, Sepler believed. So he launched Clean the World, a recycling venture that has helped more than 8,000 hotels, cruise lines, and resorts turn millions of pounds of discarded soap into sterilized, newly molded soap bars. Sent to people in need in more than 100 countries, the recycled soap helps prevent countless hygiene-related illnesses and death. As Sepler said, I know it sounds funny, but that little bar of soap on the counter in your hotel room can literally save a life. It goes on to say, the gathering up of something used or dirty to give it new life is also one of the most loving traits of our Savior. In that manner, after he had fed the crowd of 5,000 with five small barley loaves and two small fish, he still said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. In our lives, when we feel washed up, God sees us not as wasted lives, but as his miracles. Never throwaways in his sight. We have divine potential for new kingdom work. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. What makes us new? Christ within. We motivate by altruism, having an unselfish concern and devotion for the welfare of others. That's how we motivate. We need to love God, Love people, change the world. Amen? Okay, the third principle of motivation that I see in this passage is appreciation. Let's go back to 2 Timothy again. <laughs> and it's very simple. 
Verse 3, the first part. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. I thank God. Paul was thankful for what God had done for him through Timothy. And it says, whom I serve. I thank God whom I serve. That talks about uh, Paul's godly worship, his priestly service, if you will. And he says that he did it with a clear conscience. That's important, isn't it? Having a clear conscience. As Paul awaited his death in that cell in Rome, he could say, after careful self-examination, I can say with sincerity that although I am not perfect, I am living in holiness before the Lord. That word conscience speaks to me. And I had a couple of uh, verses here. 2 Corinthians 1.12 and then 1 Timothy 1.5. Let's just look at 1 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5 says this, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's the kind of, of, of appreciation that we need to have. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's the kind of thing that allows us to, to live a life of integrity and purity with a clear conscience. Now, I hope that Do you have a clear conscience? If you don't, you need to have some time with God. You need to confess some things. You need to make some changes. You need to be able to get that taken care of. This isn't in the, the sermon, but this is just added to it. That you, you need to spend some time with the Lord. And I, I admonish you to do that so that you can have better appreciation for things. You, you have to have that clear conscience. Paul was thankful for Timothy. They had history together. They ministered in a variety of places. They'd lived together. They'd spent time together. And they were grateful for the blessings that came as a result of doing so. When people are shown appreciation, it's a great motivation for success. I just recently watched a movie called Flaming Hot. Have you seen that? It's the inspiring true story of Richard Montañez, who was a Frito-Lay janitor who disrupted the food industry by channeling his Mexican heritage to turn Flaming Hot Cheetos from a snack into an iconic global pop culture phenomenon. He broke through the chain of command he went directly to the CEO of PepsiCo, who actually took his call and listened to him and appreciated what he had to say. He came down and listened to him and, and took his ideas. As a result of that, the CEO promoted Richard to a position of management in marketing, and Richard spent a 40-year career at Frito-Lay as a marketing manager because of the appreciation of the boss for somebody's ideas. Appreciation makes a difference. Showing appreciation brought success to his life. 
Showing appreciation will bring success to your life and to the person you show appreciation to. Appreciation motivates us. It moves us along. According to first, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3a, it says we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Amen? Always give thanks to God for you. When we're thanked for our effort in ministry, we want to do even more. Amen? So appreciation. The fourth principle of motivation is appeal. And that's in the second half of, uh, of 2 Timothy, verse 3. He says, As I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. <laughs> Simple. Appeal. Prayer. Constant appeal to the Lord on Timothy's behalf. He says, day and night, he constantly, unceasingly, without interruption, prays for Timothy. You know, in all of his letters, Paul assures his recipients that he is praying for them. If you look at the beginning of every letter, just about every letter, he says something about the fact, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you don't need to turn there, but it simply says, pray without ceasing. Amen? That's what God calls us to do. It's a command. And James 5.16, and you don't have to turn there either, but it says, the effectual righteous prayer of a righteous man, the effect, yeah, I better read it. <laughs> the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Amen? So prayer has much to, to, to motivate other believers to be faithful and successful in, your, in their ministry. Prayer is essential. When I was pastoring a little four-square church in Mira Loma, there was a couple in our church, uh, well, there was a lady in our church that came every week, Edna. She'd been praying for her husband to know the Lord for 50 years. They were just about uh, ready to celebrate 50-year anniversary. And so I remember praying with her and, and waiting for that time. Well, one day on my way home from church, the Lord just led me to stop by and spend some time with them. That was the day he accepted the Lord. She had been praying faithfully for 50 years, and that was the day. God wants us to pray, whether we receive it or not. He wants us to pray because that motivates not only other people, but it motivates us. We need to pray. When we were coming to church, we got off the freeway and up ahead there's a, a emergency vehicles. And immediately Mary Beth started praying. We don't know what's going on there, but we need to pray in every situation. Pray unceasingly. No matter what we come across, we need to pray for people. And God will make a change in people's lives. We need to be praying constantly for one another. Amen? The fifth aspect of motivation that, that uh, is seen in this is affection. And that's in 1 Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy 1.4. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. 
especially people that we're discipling, we, we need to love them and to express genuine affection for them. The word there for affection is epipotheo. It's an intense desire or a yearning for something, not just wanting something, but intensely wanting. Paul yearns to see Timothy once again before his death. Relationships are critical to life as believers in Christ. Amen? Doug has always maintained that relationship is what it's all about. Amen? Have you heard that? Do you believe it? Relationship is what it's all about. That's what our life in Christ is all about. And how do we do relationships here? Grace groups. Amen. Good. You get an A on the test. All right. Grace groups. And if you're not a part of grace groups, I encourage you to become a part of grace groups because you're going to grow in your affection for one another because nothing builds that affection like going through tough times together with real people. That's what really grows our faith. We need to have that affection. We need to yearn to be with them. We live in a very fragmented society that seems to be tearing down relationships. We need to forge relationships. Amen? Amen. And we need to forge them within the church and outside of the church, too, so that we can be motivated to share the gospel around the world. And then it says, recalling his tears. So, somehow he recalled the last time that Timothy and he had met and Timothy had cried. He didn't say that Paul had cried, but Timothy had cried anyway. And it reminds me of the final meeting uh, that he had with the Ephesian elders. If you look at Acts 20, let's take a look at that real quick. Acts 20, verse uh, 36 through 38. This is after he um, was on his way back to Jerusalem. He had spent years in Ephesus building the church. He had gone to Greece, and then he was on his way back from Greece from ministering there. And he decided to stop, and he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet him and send him on his way. And this is what he said. When he had said, said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud. And they embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. You know, he has these memories of people and he yearns to have that relationship with Timothy again. He wants to spend time. He has that affection with them. And Paul had that affection for his Ephesian elders and all the other churches that he had started during his time in his missionary journeys. He had that affection for them. I, I read the Daily Bread every day, so I've got another example from them. Um, this is a guy called Dan. Dan endured daily beatings from the same prison guard. He felt compelled by Jesus to love this man. So one morning, before the beating was about to begin, Dan said, Sir, if I'm going to see you every day for the rest of my life, let's become friends. The guard said, no, sir, we can never be friends. Dan insisted and reached out his hand. 
the guard froze. He began to shake, and then he grabbed Dan's hand, and he wouldn't let go. Tears streamed down his face, and he said, Dan, my name is Rossick. I would love to be your friend. The guard didn't beat Dan that day or ever again. Scripture tells us if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Who is your enemy? Whom do you dislike? Dan discovered that the kindness of Christ was strong enough to change any heart, his enemies and his own. And we can too. Do you want to be filled with joy? Work on relationships. Work on affection. Work on wanting, yearning to have those relationships. Make them a priority in your life. Amen? And then the final principle of motivation is affirmation, and that's found in verse 5. No. Before that. So verse 5 says this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. It says affirmation. Paul says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith that he had in him and his mother and his grandmother. And that word sincere means unhypocritical, without pretense or deceit. Paul remembered Lois and Eunice coming to faith during his first missionary journey and seeing Timothy coming to faith as well. He affirms the legacy of faith that continues to be passed on in their family. Timothy knew the word from his childhood. It was taught to him by his mother and grandmother. If you turn back to verse th uh, chapter 3, verse 15, there's a little bit that talks about that. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He, you know... Timothy had received the word from his mother and his grandmother, and he had studied to show himself approved, a workman that rightly divided the word of truth. Our relationships, our family relationships, makes a big difference in our ability to, to motivate others and, and uh, uh, success as a Christian in our ministry. Throughout history, a high percentage of successful Christian men and women have come from godly families. Susanna Wesley is often called the mother of Methodism. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who are the founders of Methodism. Susanna had 19 children. Hallelujah. But she was so organized and uh, well able to, to plan her time. She reminds me of my daughter. Anyway, she, she was able to spend an hour of uninterrupted time with each of her 19 children every week. She made that a priority. She affirmed them weekly. 
And in addition to all the other things that she did, she, she actually had a Bible study in her house. She, she did all kinds of things that were uh, beyond her time. But she made an effect in the lives of her children. She inspired John and Charles to become the strong spiritual leaders that they were and to start the Methodist movement. God's plan for us is to have that kind of affirming family relationship. We need to love God and especially love our families so that they can change the world. Amen? Your kids may be world changers. And it depends on how you affirm them. Affirmation is important. And that's what, what Paul was doing with Timothy. He was infirming him. You know, all of these things, these six things, they're important to achieving effectiveness and success in your ministry. I want to close with this story. When I was in high school, I became involved in band and music as a result of the motivation of one man, Stephen Rundquist. I found out later that when I went back to teach at 29 Palms High School as a band director, and I worked closely with Mr. Rundquist then, that I found out from him that he was originally not even a music major. He was a sociology person. He had spent time as a, a counselor or something like that. And he played French horn, and he had a music minor. But they needed a director because the director that had been there for years, who was a very popular director, had quit and moved on, and they were hustling to find a new director. So they found Stephen in, in San Bernardino, and they brought him up to 29 Palms and said, okay, you're the music director. And so what he did is that he spent hours on his knees praying about how to motivate the kids at 29 Palms High School. He knew a little. He learned a lot. And he turned the whole music department upside down. Within two years, the band had doubled in size. The choir program had gotten to almost half the student body of the school. There's 800 students in the school. He had 400, almost 400, in choir in that time. And he was so successful that four years later, I went to college to get my degree in music education. Four years later, they called me up and said, we want you to teach. And we want you to teach with Mr. R. And so I came back. And, and I began teaching. But it was his motivation that changed things for the lives of my life. And it changed hundreds of other lives because he thought about motivating people. We need to motivate people. We need to encourage them to be everything that God wants them to be. And having those kinds of relations with them we need to motivate, first of all, from the authority that God has given us. We need to be altruistically concerned about others. We need to appreciate others for what they've done for us. We need to pray unceasingly, appealing for others' good. We need to show genuine yearning affection for the needs of others. 
and we need to affirm one another in ministry. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words from Paul to Timothy. I thank you, Lord, for their motivation in our lives, Lord, to do better, to be more, to, to have success in ministry, Lord, and to change the world, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives, Father, as we put these principles into practice. And so, Father, we thank you for them. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to be with us throughout this week, Lord. Uh, bless this time, Lord, and, and uh, bless, bless us as we go. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.